0: all right good morning everyone or good afternoon or good evening i'm not sure what time you're listening to this this is a new experience for me our normal church gathering has been canceled for now due to the novel coronavirus but to all who are listening hello well in this day and age where most of the world is now concerned about getting sick it seems appropriate to, to today we're going to discuss the case of a very sick man in the Bible. We don't know his name, but he was a man afflicted with a disease that was incurable at the time, and it would ultimately lead to his death. Then we're going to see what happens when he meets the Lord Jesus. Now, I work as a physical therapist. I've worked in the hospital. I've worked in nursing homes, and nowadays I work in people's home as a home health care worker, And I've run across a number of different diseases. These days, the illness that you really can't stop hearing about is the novel coronavirus or COVID-19. And it certainly is a nasty virus. The World Health Organization has said that now is worse than the flu and is extremely contagious. But the fact is, from what we have seen so far, it's not necessarily a fatal disease. A lot of people have recovered And there are actually a lot of worse things out there. Now, before I see my patient for the first time, I have to read over what's called their past medical history. And sometimes when I see a certain disease on my patient's history, I think to myself, oh no, he has that? Because there are some diseases I dread to see because there is absolutely no known cure. And I know... I'm not really there to help the patient rehab to the way they used to be. I'm really there just to slow their decline. Now, take something called um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. It's also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a disease where one slowly loses control of one's nervous system. A person with it gets gradually weaker and weaker to the point where they need the assistance of a machine even to breathe. And they're often in a power wheelchair. When I see someone get diagnosed with ALS, I'm pretty sure within six years they're going to be dead. Or take something like Alzheimer's disease. People with Alzheimer's gradually lose their memory. They forget even their closest friends and relatives. They forget even how to do the most basic things we take for granted in life, like how to get dressed or how to brush your teeth. And eventually people with either of these conditions, they need 24-7 care, And they they need help with doing everything. Now, if I heard of a case of ALS being cured, I would be thinking, no, that's impossible. Or if suddenly we heard of a person with Alzheimer's disease suddenly getting healed and recovering all of their memory, that would be big news. All the major medical journals would be all over these cases, but it might make front-page news if a cure to ALS or Alzheimer's was found, But despite years of research, and at this point billions of dollars that have been spent on studying these diseases, no cure for these diseases has ever been found. Now people talk about beating things like cancer, and sometimes people do become cancer-free after going through a lot of surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, but no one beats ALS and no one beats Alzheimer's. Getting these diseases is basically like getting a death sentence. So we come to this passage in Matthew chapter 8. I'm just going to read the several verses we'll cover. When he, as Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So we have here a man with leprosy. Now, nowadays, the treatment for leprosy is very straightforward, and with a certain drug called dapsone, leprosy is curable. It still does exist in some countries, but it's a lot less common than it used to be. But back in biblical times, no one beat leprosy. It was something like getting the diagnosis for Alzheimer's or ALS. You you now had an incurable disease. You knew you were gonna die, and the remaining years you had left to look forward to were just gonna be years with a poor quality of life and slow, steady deterioration. No one who had any leprosy had any hope of being cured. And we see this in the attitudes of people in the Bible. Now, there's a certain man in the Old Testament, a man named Naaman, who was a general in the Syrian army. He was a leper. And um, if you have time, uh, um, his story is quite something to read. It's in the the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, It happened that he heard of uh, a certain prophet named Elisha in Israel who could heal anyone, he thought. And so he told his, um, his king about this and so the king of Syria sent a letter to the king of Israel asking that the king of Israel get Naaman, his general, healed of his leprosy. And the king of Israel got very upset. He said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? You see, the king of Israel realized that his Syrian counterpart was asking something of him that was completely impossible. The king of Israel could have asked for all the best doctors in the country, but it would not have done this um, Syrian general Naaman any good. Basically, the king of Israel was saying, are you kidding me? It would take an act of God for General Naaman to be healed of his leprosy. The fact was, there were a lot of people afflicted with leprosy in the Old Testament, but we don't hear of very many of them being healed of it. If you look through the whole Old Testament, you hear of um, Miriam, the the sister of Moses, having leprosy for a short time, and she was healed because Moses interceded for her in prayer. And you hear of Naaman, the Syrian general, being healed of his leprosy through the Lord working through Elisha the prophet. And that's it. No one else. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, is uh, chapter 4, verse 27, I'll just read it, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Looking at the Old Testament also, we see in the book of Leviticus, um, chapters 13 to 15, there's a long description of leprosy and how people were supposed to treat it. Now, sometimes the term leprosy may not always refer to what we think of as leprosy. Sometimes leprosy in the Bible might have referred to like mold or fungus growing in a building or in clothing. Sometimes it might have referred to various other skin conditions, perhaps things like psoriasis or eczema that we might commonly see today. But when we see the term leper, it probably did often refer to someone with leprosy or what is known formally today in the medical field as Hansen's disease. Now, I've been working in the medical field for around 15 years, and um, I've actually never seen a case of leprosy yet in person. But um, I did have to study it a little bit in microbiology when I was still in school. Um, Hansen's disease is not very common these days, like I said, but it was a lot more widespread a couple of thousand years ago. It's caused by a bacteria that affects a person's nervous system. It's often characterized at first by the appearance of patches of skin which have lost their color, which seem to correspond to this description in Leviticus 13 of bright spots or white swellings that a priest was supposed to look for in a person that was suspected of having leprosy. Now, as the disease progresses, people start to lose feeling and the ability to sense pain in parts of their bodies. So if they receive some kind of injury, like a cut or a burn, they may not realize it. And this is the cause of people with leprosy losing things like their fingers and toes. It's not that you contract leprosy and then parts of your body start decaying and falling off. People with leprosy sustain injuries to these parts of their bodies and they don't realize it until it's too late. In addition, people might develop nodules and deform parts, deform joints throughout their body. If you want to see pictures of what people with leprosy look like, you can see some pictures on Wikipedia if you just uh, look up the term leprosy. Now, the life of a leper was pretty miserable. Not just because you had a serious disease that was seriously affecting your body, but because you were quarantined for the rest of your life. It did not matter how important you were or how wealthy you were before you got the disease, you were isolated from the rest of society once diagnosed with leprosy. Looking at a case, another case of leprosy in the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles chapter 26, there was a king of Judah named Uzziah who was afflicted with leprosy as punishment for a certain sin he committed against the Lord. And all the rest of his days, it says, It says he was forced to live in an isolated house. And he was a king. It was very obvious who had leprosy. The leper had to follow a certain protocol as outlined in Leviticus 13, verses 45 to 46. I'll just read those couple verses. Now the leper on whom the sore is his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover for his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has a sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So just appearance-wise, if you were a leper, you looked like a wreck. Your clothing was all ripped up. Your hair was all messy and uncombed. That's what the command to leave one's head bare meant. And you had to cover your mustache, or really your beard. Now, in 21st century America, the beard is not something you see on every guy's face. But in biblical times, it was pretty universal. Among Jewish people, it was something like an ornament, something that was trimmed, not shaved. So besides everything else I mentioned, there's this additional loss of dignity by covering this part of you that is usually proudly displayed. And on top of all that, you had to tell everyone, unclean, unclean. Basically, you tell anyone who's nearby, stay back, keep away. Now, the term unclean doesn't literally refer to the physical state of being dirty. It doesn't even necessarily refer to the state of being diseased. According to the Old Testament laws in the book of Leviticus, a person could be rendered unclean uh, by certain events or actions. For example, a woman who had just given birth was considered to be unclean for a certain number of days after the birth of her child. a person who touched a dead body was considered to be unclean for seven days. But in God's sight, if I am unclean, I am unfit to be in God's presence. I am dirty in a ceremonial sense, where if I were a Jew in those days who wanted to come to worship, at God's temple, or partake of the Passover, I could not do it if I were unclean. And there were serious consequences to the state of uncleanness. I could die if I disobeyed the Lord in regards to my unclean condition. We read again in uh, the book of Leviticus in chapter 15, verse 31, thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they to find my tabernacle that is among them. So we come to this unnamed man in Matthew 8. He's a leper. He's probably a poor man. Because when you think about how can you find work if you're a leper and you have to keep a certain distance away from people? And thinking about other practical needs, how did this man obtain food? If you're a leper under quarantine, you couldn't just walk into the town market to buy groceries, or you couldn't sit down at a local restaurant to get something to eat. How would he buy clothing? He could not even get close to the local seamstress or tailor to get a new set of clothes. He's likely been isolated from society for a long time, and the only way he could obtain food or clothing was by perhaps family, Or, if he had no family, maybe strangers being charitable to him and leaving things for him at a safe distance. It's hard to imagine how incredibly lonely this man must have felt. We don't know, but perhaps this man was married and had children. If he did, then he has not been able to hug his kids or embrace his wife ever since he was diagnosed with leprosy. If you, were, if you were a leper, the only people you could keep company with were other lepers. Maybe he had, he had a house at one point in one of the cities of Israel, but he was forced to abandon it because he could not be near other people. In the book of Numbers, in regard to lepers, it said, You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camps in the midst in which I dwell. So a leper had to dwell outside the camp or outside the city. Now coming back to Matthew 8, um, this event with this leper occurs right after Jesus had finished the Sermon on the Mount. So there were many people with Jesus. And as Jesus was coming down, this leper seems to have been coming up to meet the Lord. Now this leper had probably been hearing about Jesus for some time, and he knew who Jesus was. Jesus, he knew, was the Lord, and he was God. We know this because right away in verse 2, the first thing the leper does is worship him. And we know from other parts of the Bible that the only person you are supposed to worship is God. This leper gives a very clear statement that he has faith in the Lord's power as God, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then something really remarkable happens. I'm not even getting to the part where Jesus actually heals the man, but to a little action that is hidden between verses 2 and 3. Jesus begins to walk towards the man. And why is this so remarkable? Well, there was actually a standard distance lepers were supposed to stay from people, according to Jewish writings from the time. And we see from another passage in Luke about 10 lepers um, who asked the Lord to heal them. And it says that they, it was said in that gospel that they stood afar off from Jesus. And some writings say that that distance was about 100 paces or steps. So when there were many people waiting for Jesus as he finished the Sermon on the Mount, this guy literally stood out from the crowd around him. Maybe he was off to one side of the crowd. Or maybe there was this large space in the crowd, this large circle around where he stood as people were trying to keep their distance from him. It had probably been a long time since anyone had touched this man. He hasn't gotten a hug, kiss, handshake, or even a pat on the back in who knows how long. No one has been within 100 paces of him ever since he was diagnosed with leprosy. No one wanted to catch his disease. No one wanted to be rendered unclean because by Old Testament law, if you touch anything or anyone who is unclean, you yourself become unclean. Maybe you didn't actually catch the the disease of leprosy, but you were still considered unclean if you had touched a leper. But now, for the first time in a long time, someone is approaching this man with leprosy, stepping into that 100 pace radius circle that no one else has ever crossed. Now you can imagine that the people in the multitude watching must have been really shocked. What was Jesus doing approaching an unclean man, a leper? Now I think this it might have been similar to a reaction I might have today. Like if, when I used to work in the hospital, there were some patients who were kept in isolation because they had some particularly nasty contagious disease like tuberculosis. Now, if I had to see one of these people in the hospital, I would have to gear up. I would have to put on a space suit-like mask and a protective gown. But if I saw someone go without any protective gear to see a patient quarantined in the hospital, I might have a reaction like the people in the multitude might have had. Like, what is is Jesus doing? But step by step, the the Lord closed that 100 pace gap that had separated this man from the rest of society. Then Jesus was face to face in front of this man, breathing the same air he was. And then we come to verse three. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, to be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy left him. Now Jesus did not have to touch this man. There are numerous other accounts in the Gospels of Jesus healing people from a distance. But for this man in particular, who had been separated from society for who knows how long, Jesus' touch takes on a deeper significance. In addition to the Lord Jesus healing this man, the Lord was showing him some love and compassion with his touch that he had not received in a long time. and the leprosy left him. Now, when I said there was a cure for leprosy nowadays, in a way I can say it's only a partial cure. Because if a leper already has major parts of his body that have lost the ability to feel, or the person has developed deformities or nodules in their joints or on their face, they don't recover their ability to feel things, and the nodules on their body don't go away. The drug just keeps the disease from progressing, but it can't reverse the effects of leprosy that have already occurred. And the drug regimen takes months to actually work. But when this leper was healed, you would have seen all those nodules, all those white patches on the skin disappear just like that. And in verse 4, finally, And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer, offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, why you wonder, would Jesus have told this leper not to tell anyone? And wouldn't this have been a great way to um, give glory to God, to, a great way for the Lord to make himself more known to people in Israel? Well, it wasn't actually a secret, this healing of the leper, because there were already a lot of people around when Jesus was healing this leper. It says in verse 1 that there were great multitudes following Jesus at this time, as this incident happens right after the Sermon on the Mount. So there were plenty of people witnessing what was going on in this passage. It's not like this would have been kept a secret anyway. I'm sure many people in the multitude probably went home that day talking about this leper being healed. But it seems possible that there was a certain urgency to Jesus wanting the leper to meet with a priest right away. So Jesus' request for the leper not to tell anyone probably wasn't out of a desire for secrecy, but because Jesus wanted the now ex-leper to waste no time on the road talking to anyone, but just be intent on getting to the priest and giving the priest a special message or testimony, as Jesus puts it. Now, you might be wondering, why why go to the priest? Well, in biblical times, it wasn't um, a doctor who was responsible for diagnosing a person with leprosy. It was actually the priest. If you read in Leviticus chapter 13, there are quite a few verses related to how a priest should recognize and uh, diagnose leprosy and what procedures to follow. In the next chapter, in Leviticus 14, God lays down the procedure for what to do if a leper has been healed. And there's a certain ritual a leper has to follow before the priest, official, priest officially declares him clean again. The leper has to offer a sacrifice. Well, the ex-leper has to offer a sacrifice. Chances are, however, I don't think the priest had carried out what was commanded in that passage very often, if at all. Like I said, the common conception in biblical times was that no one beat leprosy. So when this now ex-leper comes to the priest for what is called the day of his cleansing in Leviticus 14, and by the way, maybe he was coming to the same priest who had diagnosed him, in the first place, how do you think that priest reacted? He was probably shocked, to say the least. Maybe the priest thought, wait a second, did this guy really have leprosy in the past? But, I mean, he's, he's dressed like a leper. And keep in mind, if the leper really followed the Lord's command to go straight to the priest, he still had on his torn, tattered clothes and had a head of uncombed hair. But the priest looks for the telltale discolored patches of skin on the man. He asks the man to raise his arms, may take off his shirt to look at him more closely, make sure there's no sores, and he finds nothing. After concluding his examination, the priest realizes this man really has been cured of the incurable. He has been cleansed of his leprosy. Now, Jesus' command to the leper to not tell anyone what happened probably only applied to him up to the point he reached the priest. Because I think once the the ex-leper had shown himself to the priest and made the offering that he was required to make, the priest and anyone else who was with him must have asked the leper, what happened? How did you get healed of your leprosy? And the ex-leper would have told them that Jesus had healed him. Now, like I mentioned before, one of the um, past kings of Israel from the Old Testament stated that it would basically take a miracle. It would take an act of God for a man to be healed of his leprosy. So when the priest saw this man healed of his leprosy, he would have realized that something miraculous had happened. By healing the leper and sending him to the priest, Jesus was sending a clear and unmistakable message that he was God. So how how does one apply this passage today in 2020? Well, we don't have a whole lot of lepers in the world today. We don't have the ability to instantly heal someone like the Lord did. But there are a lot of sick people out there in the world today who need our help. And I don't mean sick with coronavirus. There is a Condition, or you can even say disease, all people are born with. That is 100% fatal. That is worse than any other disease I have mentioned in this message. And that condition is sin. Sin is like this worldwide congenital disease. We are all born with a sin nature, and it just keeps getting worse and worse as an unsafe person lives his or her life. We have a natural tendency to do the wrong thing, to do the things that are evil in the sight of God. And that's every one of us. It doesn't matter what race or background you have. It states in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and will fall short of the glory of God. Now you put that together with a verse in Ezekiel, in chapter 18, which states the soul that sins shall die. And you have this condition that is 100% fatal. Just like a person with leprosy was unclean in the sight of God, too, we, too, in our sinful condition, were unclean in the sight of God. You know, a really scary thing if you think about sin as a disease is that no one seems to be aware of it. It's like people who are carrying a disease and they have no idea they have it. People in general like to think of themselves as good people, not evil, wicked sinners deserving death and hell. Now, there have been, just to give you a few numbers to put things in perspective, there have been, a, the, the coronavirus that's in the news, the coronavirus has killed a lot of people. There have been about 5,000 deaths from it, and it's a scary number, and there have been thousands more infected by it. But let's put things in perspective of how many souls are entering eternity. Now, one figure I looked at on the internet, and I think uh, David may have quoted this also, is that about 150,000 people die each day. Now, I don't know how many of those 150,000 people are believers in Christ, but I don't think the majority of that number are. There's times when I come into a patient's home and I find they have a life-threatening illness that they are not aware of. Perhaps they have an infection. Perhaps they have a blood clot. When I see what's happening, I tell them, listen, you have to go to the hospital right now, to the ER. And I tell them what I think they have and what kind of danger they're in. As believers, we have even more reason to warn the unsaved about the danger they're in. Because we know what's going to happen to people who die in their sins. They're going to spend eternity in hell, in agony, in the lake of fire. But if you're a believer today who knows and believes the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day, you can help that unsafe person who is in danger of the judgment of God. You have the gospel with you, a cure to this 100% fatal disease which is uncurable by any human means, which is called in the, in the word the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this account of um, how you healed this man with this incurable disease. And Lord, we um, pray that you might use us in sharing your gospel with uh, many people out there who don't know you. And um, help us reach out to people who are difficult to reach, Lord. We pray this, Lord, in your name.